Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Howard Tybal. Howard. Pete. It was so great to spend a week and a half with you. I know, I know. It's delightful. I mean, it's like, it's it, you know, we, just, we do this once a year, and then we yeah. go back into our respective worlds. You're on another side of the country. It's like we're still together. People don't realize we're not no. sitting across from each other. At the same time, being being going to concerts, whatever we did together was just great, right? It, it was it was great, tell and I feel that way. I totally feel that way. And let me tell you what else I think we did very well. At. Can I? May I? May I wax just, a little bit? It depends. It depends what you're going to share. I don't want. Go ahead. Well, I'll tell I, you if it's inappropriate after you say it. <laughs> yeah, before we before we left on our vacations here, we told people that we did a whole show dedicated to vacations. And uh, and both yes. kind of came to terms with the fact that we both really are, are terrible at it. And yeah, I think... Yes, I agree. Well, hey, I think I can say now confidently, we did a great job not working on our vacations. At least one of us did. Well, that's true. No, no, when I, when I was... It, it, I, that's why I think I enjoyed uh, the time is that we it, we didn't fall into work, which would have been so easy. So easy. So, but so now we, you're back to work. So yes, it's like, we're back to work, and now like we everybody are, else. Yeah, all, all the chumps. listeners are back to work. As we're these all... students begin to <laughs> converge upon campuses in a week. That's right. We're chumps, every one of us. <laughs> Coming back to work. Uh, let me. Uh, so, so we're we're going to talk about an experience you had um, recently uh, with the uh, Association of Governing Boards. Uh, but before we do that, make sure we remind people: uh, if you don't know much about the show, or if you're listening to us uh, right on the website, you can find out more about the show at tybalinc.com. Uh, you can subscribe for free in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice right there. And join us in the conversation on uh, Twitter or LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter at Howard Tybal, uh, or uh, feel free to write me at Pete Wright. Yeah, we would love to hear from you. Yes, we would. All right, so you've just spent the last several days at the AGB Conclave. The Conclave. What is the Conclave all about, and did you light the white smoke? Were you a part of that event? It was not this year in Rome. Some some <laughs> year I'm going to suggest we do this in Rome. I love the term Conclave. Uh, it, it got coined a while back, and I think it's stuck. It's basically AGB has created this consulting practice where – you have uh, former presidents and existing and you know, former trustees of institutions who get put in positions to help existing boards be more effective as boards, uh, as well as how they can impact higher education. So the conversation is expanding. So what we did at the conclave, or my piece of it, was to take them through a process of what does it mean to work not as the expert but work in a capacity to help these institutions help themselves. I imagine at that level that that might be a challenging thing to ask of these folks to learn after the years that they've spent in leadership. Is that your experience? It is. And one of the things that – so Rick Lagan, the president of AGB, got up there and he made a comment about, you know, we've got some newbies in here, newbies meaning new to the consulting with AGB and, and season ones. And I, when I got up there, I said, here's what's true. Those in the room who are newbies, you know more than you think you know. And those of you who have been doing this a long time, you know a lot less than you think you know. And they smiled. Everybody, I think everybody got that. You know, in some ways, the seasoned uh, presidents who are now trying to give back in this capacity or trustees, their biggest challenge is going to be 
the, the reality is when they step into any piece of work with an institution, there's going to be a presumption on the other side that because of your experience, you know something we don't know and your words will, will – we will listen to your words and do what you say uh, and and – we can move in the right direction. Right, that, that you're somehow the institutional pharmacist, that you have the magic pill on you and you just need to, to give it to them. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's so enticing to want to look for that pill and they have to stop themselves because I know from years of consulting, the biggest challenge I have over time is the more I know, the more I can fall into the trap of thinking that what I know is is important. The appearance of what I know puts me in a position to have others accept me into a conversation where they're listening to me different from how they're listening to somebody off the street. But the truth is, is that with all my knowledge and years of experience in higher education, my value is not what I tell them. My value is what I can pull out of them to be able to then take and run with the ball. Yeah, I mean it's a funny challenge and I can kind of imagine you walk in as a as a, you know, former university president and and there is there is some sense that maybe there is value to what I have to say. I've spent many years learning and so why shouldn't I leverage that? Do, do, do they run into that sort of cognitive dissonance? My when I think about the 30 to 40 people that were in the room, overwhelmingly. I mean, I can't think of anybody that stuck out for me that came across like their experience uh, is really what made the difference. As a matter of fact, what I asked them at the beginning to do was what are some of the best of the consulting experiences you've seen and some of the worst? And one of the comments when I asked them to shout them out, one of the worst is arrogance, you know? Somebody coming in with the answer before they even understand the problem. Yes. That, that's that's it, right? Yes, yes. I took them through our decision-making model so they understood about we have to turn on our heads 180 degrees away from here's what I want to do to why we should be doing it. You know, to understand the problem from a underlying root cause perspective, to be able to be able to answer the question, why is this important to get right? And third, if we were successful, what does what does that look like? And they all got it. Much of this is common sense, but we often need to be reminded of these little things that can make a difference. If you're a president, you are constantly being asked to solve a problem, not to reflect on it, not to step back and ask, what do you guys think about it? Although they have to do this, but to be able to say, here's what we're going to do. And now they're in a position to say, all right, I'm not going to be the fixer. My job is to really understand the problem and then help you figure out how you're going to solve that. We delved into, you know, three big things, you know, in, in, in one capacity, it was, what does it mean to have an effective conversation? There is this tension between being directive and involved and saying, here's what I think as the facilitator, or as the, as a consultant. And then there were many moments where I said, all right, I have an idea of what the answer is here or what I'd like to say. I'm more interested in what you have to say. Who, who's got a thought? And I can tell you nine times out of 10, when I turned the question back to the group, they had a more profound and more useful set of insights than I could have ever said. Them watching that 
reminds them that it's okay to not have to have the answer. You know, when 40 trustees in a board retreat they might be leading all have their eyes on them and somebody asks a question about what are we going to do about online learning, that instead of answering them to say, who's got a thought about that and turn it back to the group. So we had endless opportunities to do both of those things. So the first thing was how to have a conversation or lead a conversation. The second big set of topics was how to not solve other people's problems, but help uncover what the problems are and then have the group really reflect on that. And ultimately, this was really about broadening the conversation how AGB can make an impact in higher education. You know, I was, I was reflecting at the beginning of this that I think as an association that does many different things, mostly focused on the board and trustee the uh, experience, the, the truth is this is about impacting higher education. So I had made the statement that if the first wave for AGB in the early days was to help individuals who became trustees to be an effective trustee, and the second wave was here's what it means to be an effective board, and they've got principles now and they're being much more explicit about what it means to be an effective board and an ineffective board. The third wave I think that they're right on the edge of and they're beginning to tackle is what does it mean to be an effective institution and the board plays a role in that. Give me an example of this. How do you demonstrate where this new board of the future might need to be engaged in cases where uh, boards of the past may not? Who, who initiates the strategic planning process on your campus? There's no cookie-cutter answer here except to say – your board needs to play some type of role in this, whether they initiate it or they're, they're partners with the president and with the faculty. Well, that, that gets to a central question here, Howard, that I keep sort of mulling over, which is what is your sense, and particularly in the institutions you've worked with in your body of experience over the last you know 30-some-odd years, would you say that boards are well utilized in terms of, of developing strategy or poorly utilized in terms of developing strategy? It is, it is so hard to make a blank statement around that. It, it, even if I go to 10 liberal arts institutions and then 10 community college institutions and 10 research institutions, each one of those is going to have a nuance. I, mean, I think you can make some generalizations about them. I think for the most part, the boards have a basic understanding that they have a fiduciary responsibility. Where it gets tough is in how they operate and behave. You know, so I remember Rick Lagan making the comment that the the old the old strategy of four board meetings a year and the committees basically do a report out of their activities. Thank you very much and everybody goes back to their respective, you know, homes is a model that is not going to work going forward. And there's a whole spectrum of institutions or range of how boards are engaged in that question of being the fiduciary responsibility or owner of that and how the president, the chair, the, the, the current chair and the current academic leadership work together. One of the really interesting conversations we had was, isn't one of the challenges for boards is the continuous evolving of 
the leadership. So when a new board chair comes on or a new president comes on, we all of a sudden have that new president's, here's what I want to do. Here's my vision for the institution. And it's almost like a reboot. So there's a dilemma in some ways in terms of the, 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 the changing of the guard and then how that impacts the strategy going forward. And I think that's partly what makes it harder for institutions to get traction on staying in the course is because every time you get a new set of leaders in, it changes the dynamic and the focus. This is part of the inherent challenge, I think, in higher education is that kind of evolving leadership. And then the other big one is the the genuine partnership between the president or chancellor and their board. And those those institutions that have partnerships between the president, academic leadership, and their board, and there are some. I wouldn't necessarily say that there are many, although I can only speak from my experience with the institutions I've worked with. You know, of the 4,000 degree granting institutions, if somebody did an analysis and then said, this is how many are truly practicing shared governance in a phenomenal way, I couldn't tell you what that number is. I can tell you in my experience, it's not a majority. Yeah, that's that That was going to be my sense of it. But my experience is, is my rigorous empirical research is uh, uh, far smaller sample size than yours. I started the conclave by saying, or my portion of the conclave, by saying, if you lead an event, the work of the event or the, the value of what you created starts after we're done. Uh, the, you know, when we, when we go around the room and reflect on this is what we accomplished, it's really, we didn't accomplish anything, but really dig deeper into some, some insights. Now the question is, how are you going to go out there and practice it? I mentioned about three ways of being in consulting in terms of being an effective specifically facilitator. And you can, you, it's really about going from competence to being effective to being exceptional. And I, I defined for them competence is really about awareness, you know, knowing what you can and should be doing. Being effective is using the right tools or, or, or knowing the tools uh, that you can use in a situation, knowing how to break people into smaller groups, knowing how to ask the kind of questions that evoke a bigger dialogue, knowing what it means to be strategic and have those conversations and employing those. Exceptional is about not just knowing tools and techniques, but knowing when to use the right techniques at the right in the right situations. That to me is a definition of being exceptional. You can take those three levels, competence, effectiveness, and exceptional. You can apply it to a lot of things. As much as I think that I'm exceptional in some ways, I I learned a ton. We had a very productive and and difficult conversation around race, around sexism, really around, if I step back, what does it mean to be not heard or marginalized because of the perception that others might have of you? And that could be on a number of realms. But we dug into this in the context of of race and what it is to be a woman. And it was one of these conversations that I was deeply appreciative to be part of. And I can also tell how much we are in our, our infancies of be able to be together with different sexes in the same room, different ethnic backgrounds, different races, and have a conversation together where 
people walk away and say, you know what, I learned from this more about myself and others as a result. I think in the privacy of our own homes, we have probably give ourselves more permission to speak how we feel. Doing it in a public way that demonstrates that we have a lot to learn. What does it mean to bring a level of sensitivity and respect? Uh, We clearly did not... This was a perfect example of trying to understand the problem before we can solve it. So that, for me, was a huge learning opportunity to allow myself to try and guide the conversation. Um, And it wasn't easy. And I think I did some things well, and I think I I did some other things not so well. But it was an example for me, and I think hopefully for others, that these kinds of situations... And every one of those individuals who are part of, you know, doing consulting, they're going to face their conversation that's hard, but you grow from them. That's sort of amazing, isn't it, that you would suddenly sort of accidentally stumble into this conversation of such interpersonal depth? It, it almost seems out of context or out of scope. Uh, but I'm sure, and just knowing the relationships that I have with institutional leadership and, and the few presidents that I know fairly well, uh, that much of their reflective time as leaders really is about leading towards stronger, more understanding communities. Did, do you find that surprising? How do you how do you move through that in your work as facilitator of this session? One of the things that came full circle for all of us, I think, looking at the day, is it it it's rarely what it appears to be. This is how I started the conclave, and here's what I'll just wrap up with: is that whether it's these four pieces, and this is a concept that was invented by David Nadler back in the 80s called the congruence model, but I've, it's evolved. And, and I think about it in four areas, your mission, your work, the people, and the structure. So the mission is this is who we are and why we exist. The work is what we do to serve that mission. Then we have the who or the people to do the work, and then we have the structures and processes. And very often as consultants, we step in and the people who are looking to serve have an idea of what the problem is. But really, they really don't know. They just know, they see a problem, and it's one of those four things. It's either who we are, what we do, the people doing it, or our processes and structures. And the key thing for all of us as consultants, and I'd want those who are have gone through the conclave to be reminded of, is it's rarely what it appears to be. And to be willing to step into a situation and listen to what they think it is, but step back and say, all right, what about this? You think it's a structure problem? Let's talk about your people. You think it's a people problem? Talk, talk to me about your structure. Talk to me about how the people are doing the work. And I think of nothing else that allows us to step back and not be so quick to say, oh, here's the problem that somebody identified. Let's solve that, and that will actually move us in the right direction. I think the best thing we can do is figure out if we really understand the problem and test that before we start creating solutions that may not get us the leverage we're really trying to get to. Giant lessons. Uh, how do you feel as you kind of think about your uh, experience there and, and kind of walking away? How do you feel about this this crop of, of 
sort of new graduating kind of consultants going into the field. Do you feel like this was a, a process that was well received? Do you feel like they've they're they're able to to do these kinds of things at some level? One, they're already doing it, and and the so so you're, you're right for the new crops. Will they be able to? Without question, I think that they have been selected very specifically because of their deep desire, and it was very clear from the dialogue that. They, the competence and the skills and the background, but for all of us in this work, we have to be willing, be willing to step back and say, all right, how do I want to grow? I did this a year ago and I can feel the elevation of the conversation, the level of diversity that resides in that room and it's only growing. And I also think what's so exciting is that I think AGB understands that they, the work is not about the boards. The board is one of the core constituents that they had developed a deep competence in serving. But they now need to say, how do we broaden this to really have the impact we want to have? And I feel like they're taking that on. So I'm, I'm really excited to be uh, partnering with AGB in this work. Well, that's what it sounds like, uh, that reflection on, on AGB's evolving role in helping institutions grow, I think is really powerful. That's very exciting. You know, and Pete, let's not forget that we're all people in this. And I'll tell you, one of the things I walked away from, besides all the great content, and it's just, I really enjoyed their company and I they enjoy each other's company. So it was just a wonderful uh, camaraderie that that this group has. So so that's what I walked away from too. Oh, that's such that's really good. I think we learn so much better when we're in the company of of colleagues and friends and I think we don't think about that too often enough. Yeah, except for you and I when we're together mm-hmm. it's always like that. Yes. Always. Always. Wait, right? it's Wait, harder or easier? Now I don't. Now I'm second guessing everything about our relationship. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining and listening to the show. For downloading on iTunes, for the kind five star reviews, we sure appreciate that. Definitely helps others uh, to find the show, uh, and uh, keeps you know keeps us coming back. It's what it is. Currency. Is, is what it is, is those reviews. So thank you so much for those of you who have been doing it. Uh, thank you, Howard, for your time and wisdom again. Uh, on behalf of Howard Tybel, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, a podcast from Tybel Inc. <laughs>